everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. I, can't, I never think of what to say. <laughs> Hi, it's Nolan. I, I never think of what to say. I, it's my own name, so I don't even know why that's weird. <laughs> it's okay. Everybody has a little bit of that. Um, Happy birthday. Oh, yes, it is my birthday today. Happy I, pie day. Ugh, I hate pie. Oh, uh, is that a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> is it a bad thing? I don't know. I don't know that it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. I like cheesecake. That's not a pie. Yeah, but it's in the shape of a pie. Lots of things are in the shape of a pie. Circle. Circle. Tire fires our, are in the shape of a pie. As our toddler always says, circle. 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 He's obsessed with circles right now in any other shape, but mostly circles. Um, we are recording this on, on March 14th. <laughs> That's my birthday. That's the only reason I know the date today. I've got a splitting headache right now and um, didn't have a lot of sleep last night. No, it was miserable for some reason. I just couldn't sleep either. Yeah, we were, yeah, just didn't sleep. I hate daylight savings and still trying to adjust to that. But we do close on our house on Monday and that is today's Wednesday. So that's just, you know, a few days away and we'll be moving in the following Saturday. And I released Temple of Flames on Monday. I announced to my readers today that it's available, and that's going well so far. It's always exciting to have, you know, get that initial feedback from readers. And um, do you have any updates? No. Nope. We've been busy getting ready to move, so yeah, just... neither of us have a lot going on right now in the book, book world. My voice hurts, so dictating is really hard. I wanted to get started on Crimson Hollow, but we've been sick, and my voice is not doing it. Just can't handle dictating, and I still don't type very well with my finger. That's been broken. All right, so let's go right into the quote and then the tip. The quote is by Dr. Henry Cloud, and he says, There is a difference between patience and avoidance. Patience is waiting for a good reason. Avoidance is waiting out of fear. I love that quote. It, it really hit me hard right now because um, I've, I've always wanted to write in the romance genre. And, you know, the, the wisdom out there, you know, the, the best way to do well as an author is to write and release a whole bunch of books really quickly. And my plan was to re write five books in the, in the same series and then release them all at once. But I kept hesitating and I couldn't figure out why until I realized that I was, I was hesitating because I was afraid that people wouldn't like my romance books because I'm, I'm well, what's the word? I've been writing fantasy long enough to know that my fantasy is good, you know, at least to the target audience that I write for. And, but with romance, I'd never done romance before, and I didn't have readers who were constantly telling me they loved my books. And so I ended up finally releasing the first two books, and I still haven't written the rest of them. But I realized that I needed to, I was avoiding out of fear, not because I had a plan to release all five, but because I wouldn't ever continue until I knew if they were good or not. And so releasing those books, I've gotten really good reviews, and I've heard really good things back from readers. And I'm focusing on fantasy right now, but now that I know that I can actually write romance that readers enjoy, I will, you know, I'll actually have a plan and I'll do it according, you know, be patient rather than doing, avoiding out of fear. So of course, you know, my plan is to write several more books in the series or in a new series once I'm able to focus on both genres better and release them all at once and then release regularly after that. Anyway, what, do you have any thoughts on that quote? Um... I like it. I don't know. I I just learned that I've been avoiding a lot of stuff, and I wasn't patient after all. But... <laughs> what, what were you avoiding? Things like marriage and... <laughs> yeah, for a while. <laughs> it 
He was 32 and I was, al- no, he was almost 32 and I was almost 29 when we got married. <laughs> oh, yes. and there's a thunderstorm outside right now. So in case, in case you can't hear that, that's, I love thunderstorms. That'll cheer up my day. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, I love thanks. thunderstorms. I was going to say, it's not a happy day. I mean, it's just kind of a regular day mostly anyway. But... Regular to a Seattle person. Oh, yes, of course. To a, to a Utah person, this weather is wonderful. It almost, you know, it's almost never cloudy. So, okay, we're still talking about automation sequences, the individual emails in your automation sequence. So the next email is the fourth email, and it sends seven days later after your third email. The third email is a reminder is the one where you invite them to connect with you elsewhere. The fourth email, the purpose of this one is to sell the next book. And I'm talking the next book in your series or the next standalone. So the first book, if you follow the system that I use for... Uh, building a newsletter list, your first book will be perma-free and your second book will be free to newsletter subscribers. This email is where you tell them about the third e- the third book in your series. And so you want to tell them about um, any difficulties or struggles you had in writing it and give a few positive reader reviews and include the buy links. And you want to make sure that you don't just say, hey, if you get the chance or if you feel like it, say, hey, grab this book now I, uh, I'm sure you'll love it. You know, stuff like that. You want to use positive and what's the word? Um, verbs, basically stuff that moves things. It's not just a writing your book, but it's also in your emails. You want to use the correct, the correct words that will make it so that readers know exactly what you want. And you, you're not giving them excuses for not buying now, basically. Anyway, so you'll, um, you'll continue the introduction to you. Make sure you have a little bit of fun with it, you know, and ask your question at the end. Anyway, so that's the fourth email. Next next podcast episode, we'll talk about the fifth, fifth email. And I'm actually wondering if if we should do that. Have the next podcast episode be a us talking about some marketing goals right now and just kind of delve into marketing completely. Sure. You okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Nolan does all of my Amazon ads, and so he um, he's gotten pretty good at it. Though I don't know how good anyone can really get with the system that's so broken as theirs. Hey, hey, hey Amazon, we need to have a talk, yo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not, uh, it, it does sell books, but it's not good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So call we'll... me, call me, <laughs> call you for a good time or call just for a good time yeah, or just for you. To if you like to talk about marketing and oh. how it could be improved, then it would be a good time. I was going to say the marketing part. That's good enough for me. <laughs> how to make, how to make the user interface not as terrible yes. and the reporting more useful. <laughs> yes. Those would be good things. Cause then I would give you more money. <laughs> it's true, actually. I would we, spend you know. more money if I knew what was going on more, which yeah. is everyone's critique of Amazon. Amazon is the, AMS, yeah. the data you get back is not uh, the most useful. I, I agree with that. So yeah, so the next episode, which is episode number eight, we will, I love the number eight, so that makes me happy. Marketing, talking about marketing on episode number eight. Anyway, this is episode number seven. We're going to be talking about the lost world. And I'm looking forward to digging into this one. Do you have any thoughts about it at the start? Um, it is vastly inferior to the first movie. <laughs> and I'm going to... There are some good elements. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the um, What's his name? The, guy, the writer guy. Oh, Michael Crichton. Was involved heavily with this project in a way that is like, give me my money kind of a way. <laughs> um, there is an interview I watched where they ask him like, you know, what do you think of the movie? And he's like, well, it is what it is. And that's like the literal, <laughs> his, his very answer. It is what it is. And he, they had an arm twist him. I think we talked about you, that. You could tell he part, was an but... unwilling partner, but there, <laughs> there, there is some good stuff in here. Um, anyway, 
Yes. So yeah. it'll be an excellent uh, contrast to the triumph of cinema that and that is uh, the first Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park movie. Yeah. So in when we talked went over Twilight. Um, since then, I've got I've gotten um, I've written down a whole bunch more categories for us to talk about. So we're not going to talk about all of them. Actually, there's several in here that I didn't put anything under just because it either wasn't applicable or it was boring to me. <laughs> and I, assuming you probably did the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's start with the first one and just kind of go from there. Sound good? Yeah. Any characters you want to talk about? Uh, Ian Malcolm is still in it. He is. Still pretty funny. In yeah. this one. I think that when they they couldn't get everyone for the second movie, and so they had to write them out of it, and then they got him, and he's he's still good, but he was better in the first movie in the context of the other characters. Yeah. The other characters were so much more well-rounded and well-realized. The, the characters in the second movie are very flat by they're, comparison. They're weak. It, made, it makes him... It, he doesn't pop well. He pops more and less, I guess. Mm-hmm. He it, his complexity doesn't come out. His insights, you know, he doesn't. Yeah, he's I, he's not the skeptic as he was in the first one. Like he doesn't have those, you know, that that personality type. He's more worried in this one. Yeah, yeah, he's a worrywart, and um, he's right. But um, in the first movie, he's instantly thinks it's a bad idea, and the the other scientists don't. But it doesn't take them long to figure out that Malcolm was right, and it's this is insane. Yeah, and Hammond was the last one to uh, give up on the idea. Mm-hmm. But she really never does because in the second movie he's still like, no, it can totally be fine. It can still work. <laughs> as as uh, Ian Malcolm says, um, well, he's like, um, I won't make the same mistakes twice. That was Hammond, and then Ian says, no, you're making all new ones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean the characters. I agree with Nolan. The characters they fall flat. They're. Um, most of them are just plot devices, like red, sh- you know, the red coats, red, where the red. Yeah, they, they like the red shirts. They just. The ones that can die easily. Yeah. And we don't like, care about them. Yeah. Because there's Eddie is like this, this field, or he's a, an equipment guy, but that doesn't normally go into the field and he dies and no one feels sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, We've and then, got the random kid. You have to have a random kid. There's I a random ki- daughter that you didn't know he had. You have no emotional attachment to. It's, it, she's just a prop. Mm-hmm. The other ones like had personalities in the first movie, which they appear briefly at the very beginning of the movie for maybe a minute mm-hmm. and say hi to Malcolm and then walk off stage. Tim and Lex. Yeah. They actually had bigger roles and they cut it down. Hmm. They were supposed to be in there for longer. But they're not. So um, there's a there's a Hammond analog that is very two-dimensional. His nephew, for whatever reason, I don't know why his nephew's in charge of things. I call no, him Dude with Glasses. Dude with Glasses is named Peter Ludlow in the movie. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, um, he is much a flatter character. He's uh, just a stuck-up, rich, bad guy. Yeah. Very cliche. He's not Ham- coming from Hammond's good intentions that have gone bad, you know, like where he has that tension, you know, about creating. I mean, he does have a lot of the same motivations and feelings as Hammond does, but just very, just very flat. Because he talks about... Um, you know, Hammond talked about creating, and so does he. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what it's like to have to try and build something, you know, from nothing, and how dangerous, and how, you know, you risk a lot to do that. Yeah. So they do talk about that, but I don't know. All the characters. But Sarah, um, his girlfriend, who's a paleontologist, of course, because they have to have a paleontologist, but they also had to give him an emotional entanglement with her mm-hmm. because he didn't have any connection. Him. him. Uh, the, I was thinking the dude of the with daughter. glasses. 
I was thinking of the dark. No. Oh, uh, Kelly. Him, him being Ian Malcolm. Okay. It's Ian Malcolm's. She is Ian Malcolm's girlfriend. Oh, Sarah. Sarah. Yep. Has to give, you know, that entanglement, that connection, because mm-hmm. he doesn't have anything, and they don't bother to develop anything in the movie, like. You know, well, they've already been together. They've they developed it pre. But that, but he in the first movie he develops relationships to the characters that appear. I mean, they have never met before. Yeah. And you know the, and they come together. You know, and they have interactions with each other, mm-hmm. and you see how they play off each other and like learn to know each other and stuff like that. That doesn't happen. They get they throw that out. He's got a daughter who he already knows. He's got a girlfriend who he already knows. You know, those are the people he interacts with probably the most in the movie, and so you don't get to see that growth that interaction yeah which that. makes it so that we don't get to know them right and there's nothing to know they're just literal plot devices yeah so. well my favorite character is roland um oh uh, yes there's a hunter analog as well yes because i mean he's competent and he's confident he's not likable necessarily but because he is competent he's likable that's why i like him i'm like he's the only one there besides ian who is not making stupid decisions and about to get killed all the time so what I really liked about him is at the end of the movie, he achie- achieves his objective, but he's sad because a friend of his didn't make it, you know? So they gave him a little bit of dimension there, you know? He has a, he has an arc. Yeah, he he's does. He's probably he has the only character arc. that... I was actually... That was one of my closing questions for you is, who had the most character growth? I mean, nobody really has character growth in this movie. And he's, yeah, the air quotes villain. He's not even the villain. I no. mean, Ludlow's technically the bad guy. He's just the side dude with his own, his own. Yeah, he's like a, a minor side character, but he like takes over the movie in the middle. Well, I, and I like, I appreciated that. I'm like, somebody's got to have direction. Somebody's got to tell people, you know. He, yeah, he's, he's a driving force wherever he goes and like handles stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's all these analog characters, right? That they're like, they feel like counterfeits of the original characters mm-hmm. in most cases. Because in the first one, Muldoon, right, I believe his yeah. name was, was the hunter, the competent hunter, yeah. who ultimately dies, but he's he's knows what he's doing, too. Yeah. So they have this guy, and he's probably, I don't know, more as as realized, well, he, I feel better because he lives, <laughs> but yes. but he's, again, that um, he's an analog character, but he actually has an arc, so he's more interesting. Yeah, agreed. He's probably the most interesting character. I mean, Ian has a bunch of good, witty dialogue still. Yeah. But I don't think it's as interesting because of his interaction with the characters that he's surrounded by is less interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Do you have any comments on antagonist, protagonist, or anything like that? Uh, I talked. We talked a little about it in the characters. I mean, Ludlow is the bad guy. You know, he's coming in to take all the dinosaurs and make a bunch of money. The people with Ian are there to just observe, and Ian just wants to get everybody out alive. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. And uh, the yeah. hunter guy... Um, just wants to take out a T-Rex. I'm, I'm, in this one, it feels like the dinosaurs are the setting rather than in the first one where it felt mm. like the dinosaurs were characters. Yeah, they interact. They don't really interact with them very much at all. No, it's not like they're introducing them and then we get to know them. They're just there, you know? like. Yeah, I agree. So that was my comment on the setting. I mean, the island's a natural habitat for dinosaurs and they've been allowed to roam, roam, to roam and run free there for several years, you know, because that's... They're the little hidden... Basically, the second island is Hammond's little secret. Right. Yeah, so the, I, my comment was that the dinosaurs are the setting. And I've got so many comments on the continuity. Man, I just... I really had a hard time with the continuity and the research in this movie. <laughs> I did as well. Do you want to go to that part? 
do you have any more setting comments? Setting comments. Um, it's still on a, an island in the middle of nowhere. Well, Costa Rica. It's a Costa Rican island. Um, so it's isolated. You know, it's jungle. So that's not really different. Um, I'm trying to think setting wise. No, that's we pretty much I mean, it. That's it, um, yeah. it. They do go to they do go to San Diego, and the dinosaurs, the T Rex tromps around there. Yeah. Parts of that are funny and interesting, but it's it's not as skillfully done. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about it's that like when we a, get to the climax and everything. But. It's it's like a flat action movie compared to the first one where it was more suspense. This is more crunchy. Well, the first time. one just felt like it had more plots that were weaving together, you know? Because the characters were were more well-rounded and and they weren't two-dimensional as they are in this one. And like the dinosaurs coming and going and just felt like there was more more to keep your interest, you know? This one, I get bored every time they go to San Diego, you know? There's a lot of pacing problems, too, in this movie. That's yeah. not setting-related, but... The, yeah. this, the settings... I mean, they just have the one setting in the first movie, and then this one they have two, but it's more boring. Yeah. I don't know. So, continuity. I want to talk about continuity at the same time that we talk about the implausible things. Okay. Um, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Plot versus character. I would say it's mostly... It's, it's both... But it's mostly character driven. I would I would say because most everything that happens happens because of stupid choices the characters made. Yes, that is true. Um, which is good. Well, I have a comment. Yeah. That's going to be one of my parting I mean, three things. Well, I would I'll say it's not good that. because of if if everybody just makes stupid decisions all the time, then you know it's boring and it's not interesting. Like how stupid is everybody really? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's nice when. People have conflicting goals, and that's what creates the problems. Yeah, which they had conflicting goals in this they one. Certainly, but yes. it they weren't fleshed out conflicting goals. They were just, well, we already know Michael Crichton didn't want to write the book, and so he did it just because they wanted him to do it, and his heart wasn't in it. And honestly, from reading the trivia, um, Spielberg's heart wasn't in it either. I mean, I'll give that little bit of trivia now. He said that he said that he grew increasingly disenchanted with the film the farther along it went. And so farther along filming went, and you can kind of feel that it's like, it you know they it runs out of steam. It it starts out okay, yeah, um, but it, I think it loses it really loses its uh, dynamicism. Yeah, agreed. All right, so dialogue. Um, I I didn't really notice that the dialogue was abnormal or unnatural. You know, I mean, we've got all the little the little funny things that Ian says that, well, my comment, you, you adding comedy in, you can make comedy up by the setting and the surroundings from the characters, or you can put it in artificially. Like when they first get to the Island and Nick is yelling, Sarah, Sarah. And then he's like, Sarah Harding. And Ian's like, how many Sarah's are on the Island? And, and then at the end, when they're looking for Nick and they're yelling, Nick, Nick, and Ian yells, Nick Van Owen. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciated that, you know, and like I said, most of the comedy comes from, Ian, like when the velociraptors are jumping at him at the car and he locks the door, you know? Yeah, with his foot, yeah. Yeah. Just little funny things like that. And I think that comedy belongs in pretty much any book, you know? I mean, even I'm listening to, what is that? What is that? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty intense scene. Like this velociraptor is like breaking through the glass of this car and he's like doing funny stuff still. I'm, I'm listening to... It doesn't to... feel incongruous. Uh, the book Unbroken right now, and it's really, really good. It's a biography about Louis something. I'm not an audio person. I need to actually see his name to know what. But he's World War Two, and there's comedy in that. And that's a World War Two biography that has a lot of serious moments. And I've read a lot of horror that has comedy and chick flicks that have comedy. So I think comedy 
it, I think it adds depth to a story. And so, you know, that's, it's hard to know how to add the comedy in though, because it's not something that always comes naturally, you know, because the story is not something that comes naturally. You usually have to work at it to make the story work. And so sometimes you have to make it the work at the comedy to make it work too. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, okay. So turning the page, I don't have any comments on plot structure or target audience or marketing of the film. (laughs) Okay. Do you have any more comments? Um, I have some lines that I like. Right. I, so like very early in the movie, Ian says, this is not a research, it's not a research operation anymore. It's a rescue mission. That's his entire motivation through this entire movie. Mm -hmm. Everything he does, everything he tries to do is to get them moving in a direction off the island. Yeah. Once he goes there to get Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. He still has a good dialogue. Um, Things like it's so important to your future that you don't finish that sentence. Yes, Kelly. To his daughter, which I feel like I say that to my kids all the time. <laughs> so okay, I'm gonna make a comment on. You have a few comments I'm seeing on things, but plot structure. Yeah, go ahead, because mine is on number nine. So it's it's basically three acts. So there's the the part where they're by themselves mostly on the island before they meet the InGen people. Before they meet the InGen InGen people, mm-hmm. when they start interacting with the InGen people. To the point where they capture the T-Rex is another act. And then the third act is San Diego. Yeah. It is actually quite straightforward. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, they, the lines are well drawn. Yeah. Like in one, they like, yeah, like the set of characters and then they combine the two sets of characters and then they change locations. Yeah. So anyway, that's my plus chart. I mean, the, the general breakdown of how this goes and it's about, it's roughly thirds too of the way. Oh, the last act is a bit shorter because it's just. More explodey. Yeah, I'm, and I've got some comments on. I mean, we know that the target audience is the same as the first, um, but the the tone, the soundtrack, camera angles, things like that. One one thing I noticed was that they're pretty much just repeating everything they did in the first movie. So we've got a T Rex. We've got the rain at night. T Rex's eyes through windows. That happened a lot of times in this one. It certainly did. Um, the car top gets broken. The dinosaur, the sounds of the dinosaur approaching. Dinosaur footsteps in water. Yes. Then, yeah, I mean, lots of things. I'm like, you know, get a little original. Yeah, for for marketing for this film, I put gimmicky toys. And I remember when this movie came out, and like you could buy the uh, jeep with the little seat that slides out to the side. You know, like when they're capturing the mm-hmm. dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a. If you've ever seen Spaceballs. Mm-mm. And they have probably have long time space ago. balls, and they have a they have the uh, marketing campaign, the marketing thing. They have a bunch of merch, <laughs> they mm-hmm. have, like space balls, the flamethrower, mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> but they just have a bunch of like random merchandise for people to buy. And like, yeah. oh, you like the movie? Then buy this, buy that. And then they just have like some ridiculous stuff. That's what this is. This is yeah. a this is a purely financial decision because the first movie was so successful, they had to turn around and, and capitalize on it without. I have to say that I I agree with that the first one and the second and the the second one and the third one possibly but I would say Jurassic World it was more of a love for the project that they uh the third one is actually an okay movie it it they has one of my soon. favorite scenes the pterodactyl scene like they they have some really awesome scenes in that movie um yeah I think it's a less it was probably less commercially successful but I think it's a better constructed story yeah and then uh, we will talk about the very different tone of Jurassic World. When Which, we get to it. Yeah. It's a complete break from everything, really. Still it's, like it, but it's yeah. an action movie, not... I mean, it's a new director. I mean, so is the third one. But, but... like, different music, different yeah. everything. They don't really use the themes much. 
so, um, okay, so there were a couple of things, Tone, um, hold on. Okay, you had a comment on when they're running from the velociraptors. Oh, that was a... Um... Not the grass scene, but after they after the gymnastics scene. That was where I put my comment on You mean on when that. they run to the helicopter? And it was one... They do one good shot of them running up the stairs, like through a building. It's all one shot. And they don't take away, so you yeah, they know the camera is actually following Yeah, them. they don't it's... cut. I, it's a good shot. Yeah, I liked it. And I liked it for the reason, because you can't tell if the velociraptors are following them or not. So you feel like you're running from the velociraptors too. Exactly, you know? like you're, like it's like a point of view, like you're right behind them, mm -hmm. trying to get to safety because like somebody's signaling for them to come and mm -hmm. they're just making a run for it. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. You know, I'm not sure how you can apply that to writing, but it was. I mean, it was they used a good tool at a good time to portray. Um, yeah what they wanted to um they weren't lazy about it like can you tell we didn't like this movie? i i i mean i enjoy it because i like pretty much any of these dinosaur movies you know but i i still get bored at times while watching it you know or just uh, very exasperated they had some good stuff but they they misapplied or it went on too long so like the let's talk about the truck scene for instance oh yes the truck scene so like the truck is there's a truck and it's going the over the cliff with the trailer trailers dangling that scene goes on for twice as long as it should. Yeah, and under pacing, I say trailer and then getting ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I like parts of it. I like, like, they try to climb up and then, like, one of them Her falls. Her falling on the glass and they is see pretty the, cool. Yeah, the glass slowly cracking. That was awesome. And I was like, yeah, this is this is a good scene. And then they try to climb up a rope and then they fall down and then they climb up some more and then the rope breaks or it comes untied or whatever. Yeah. And then eventually the whole trailer falls down around them and doesn't touch them somehow. And it was just, like, way ridiculous. Yeah. And my comment about that was, why didn't, I mean, why did the, the T-Rexes leave? You know, they tried pushing them over, and then they leave. I mean, they 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 get the baby, they leave. And then they come back and try to push it over, and then they leave. And then they come back again. And I'm like, that's not... Yeah, it's super weird. It's, it's It was convenient for the plot. It was, because it's like, oh, no, now we have to struggle with the car again. Okay, we're fine with the car. Oh, and then the T-Rexes do something else. Yeah. Just as yep. soon as they resolve their problem. Yep, exactly. And then... Oh, no, now we have to deal with that. And then, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not getting mad at Michael Crichton. Because, you know, I'm on he his side. He took the money, man. He took the money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So. But this goes on for for any book series or TV series that goes on for too long. And you're just like, you're just in it for the money now. You don't know where else to go with this. Yeah. We've all seen or watched things like that. where like, you know, the first couple seasons are really good. And then eventually... Not so good, or just um, filler, or you know. One one thing that I noticed about this movie, when it comes to conflicts, not all the conflicts are caught by caused by dinosaurs, you know. And I felt like it. It one of the other trivia things is it's supposed to be fifty percent. It has fifty percent more dinosaur action, but it's not a satisfying type of dinosaur action. It doesn't action. feel like it. Yeah, it doesn't. But well, you see, they start first or start sooner fighting with dinosaurs and interacting with dinosaurs, but it doesn't feel as satisfying and so they don't have any build-up no they don't let's see do you have any comments on romance there is none i mean sarah and malcolm they just talk about it but they never do anything there's no like any any chemistry mm -hmm. like they yeah. say baby occasionally and that's pretty much it there's no like real affection no body language no language language no yeah. expressions so my comment on it is, yes, I agree with that. Um, 
It's not applicable. There's no kissing or anything like that. But he does go to the island and he faces his greatest fear for her, which is true romance, in my opinion. But then when he's with her, you know, <laughs> it's like they're an old married couple that are, you know, like kind of old hat. You know, they don't yeah. they don't show it almost feels like the characters themselves don't really care for each other. And then the writers forgot, you know, to make them. Yeah. I, I mean, they have some talks about like, why didn't you come save me from that dinner? And like, you came and saved me from an island. And nobody asked you to do that. And I asked you to save me from your dad dinner with your dad. Or and whatever. then you didn't show up. Yeah. And like, that was at least something. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the only so example you can, I can think of. You can tell that they have like, like relationship problems, you know? They're not quite solid in their relationship. And they, and she seems to be fine with that because she's like, I go away all the time. Isn't that the perfect girlfriend? And it's just like, yeah, but it also makes a bad movie because then we're not interested in your yes. relationship. So uh, so what would you say would is the inciting incident? Hmm. I think it's when he learns that she's on the island. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what gets this whole thing started. And, and that happens pretty early on. There is, that's the second scene in the movie. The first scene is just Malcolm apparently is down on his luck because he had, uh, he broke some legal agreement with Hammond about um, talking about the island. Nobody believes the dinosaurs are real. Yeah. That's actually like the second scene. The first scene we haven't even talked about yet. What's that? Cute little girl, cute little dinosaurs. Oh yes. I forgot all about that. And, and my comment with the parents, believableness of the parents, what would you do if your eight-year-old girl's screaming and you can't see her? Would you stand there and stare? I wouldn't stand there and stare and then be like, hey, hey. Hey, what's going on? I mean, I and want then, to slap those parents. And then be surrounded by people whose literal job it is to make sure you don't die. All the crew members of the yacht they were on yes. also stand around. I'm like, I don't need someone to tell me to go run. No, I know. If my daughter were screaming like that... Or even if somebody else's daughter... That you know. That's true. It's not even, even like not there even are some if you, don't, you don't even yeah. need to know them, you know? But they literally know these people. <laughs> like like a little seven-year-old... Eight-year-old or nine-year-old... Girl is, like, screaming her head off. And, on an unknown place, you know? Yeah. And they're just like... Yeah. Mouth open. Yeah. Anyway, so crappy, that's the... Crappy parents. Crappy it. parents. I did like the opening. I thought it worked well. I think it's fine, too. I actually, and uh, the concept of it is fine. Because um, you don't expect there to be dinosaurs. Like, we're done with that, right? Yeah. Yep. And then they're just on a, some other random beach, and then a dinosaur we've never seen before, right? Yeah. I don't think they're in the first one. Right? Mm -hmm. The compies? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think uh, they're mentioned, but I don't remember them being They are mentioned in the book. In right? They're in the book, they but are, they're yeah. not in the movie. All right. So I've got a section titled Noteworthy. I don't think I gave you that section. And I've also got <gasps> a section titled Implausible. <laughs> so, noteworthy, they kill the dog. They kill the dog. In San Diego. Oh, yeah. The, they eat the dog. Yeah, the, dog the T-Rex. T yeah. Implausibility. Um, I say the T-Rex not finishing the job when they take the baby, not pushing the trailer all over. It, they, it's like wheat pushes. Eh, eh, yeah. Eh, and yeah. then runs off. And then, of course, we've got the Hollywood explosion at the bottom of the cliff. Of course. When there's probably nothing in yeah, these things uh, that's flammable. Yeah, the trailer, uh, the trailer and the truck fall over, and then boom, Hollywood explosion while they're all dangling from a rope or something yes. like that. Yes, yep. Of course, and it's not a particularly good shot either. Mm-hmm. Uh, other impossibilities. T-Rex killing everyone on a ship Oh, geez. when he's trapped in the hold. Yeah. How can you kill people on the bridge? Plus, the bridge is tiny. Unless you yes. smush it. How did you get inside without breaking all the doors and windows? Mm -hmm. This is stupid. This is so bad. Oh my gosh. And then there's a severed hand holding onto the wheel. Where's my comment? I'm trying to find where my comment is on that. Where, you, yeah, because 
there's absolutely no way that that the hand. I mean, maybe the hand crawled in there. You the know, hand had to crawl. Uh, this yes, the hand severed hand crawled and then held to the wheel, which is also a co- a crib from the first movie. A crib from the first movie. They, they stole it from the first movie. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, remember Mr. Arnold's hand. Oh yeah. Oh, hand? that's yes. Good point. Thank you. And I was I, like, I oh totally yes, a that. severed arm. We haven't seen this before. And there's two severed arms. One of them is holding the button to the hold. Yeah, and then the other one's holding onto the actual. The um, wheel. The wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I've actually made a note on that, but just the fact that we've got the T Rexes inside, they're outside. One of them in a tiny room, the other one on the deck. And he's trapped inside. Well, maybe he, the T-Rex put his little arm in there. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's Did some why. fine surgeon murderings. Anyway, it's just really bad. It's so stupid. I thought yes. that the first time I saw it, I was like, what on earth? How did yeah, he I mean, get in there? Ma- the, it would have been so easy for them to have another dinosaur, you know, a little smaller one that the T-Rex eats. At first I know? thought I was like, wait, is the baby T-Rex on that boat too? But yeah, the no, baby they has make a, a broken point leg. Of, they make a point of telling you that the, the baby T-Rex is not on the boat. Because yes. the baby T-Rex totally could have done that if yes. it had been on the boat and gotten loose. Yeah. They could have done some team-up and then, you know, yep. that would have been fine. But they, they purposefully shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Way to go. No kidding. Uh, do you have any comments on foreshadowing? There is plenty of foreshadowing. Um, the first scene at the beginning with the little baby dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. They're not babies. They're Compies. Just yeah. Compies. Um, somebody gets killed by them later. Yeah, which that gets foreshadowed twice because he electrocutes them. Yeah, know? and he's mean to them, and then they come back and kill him. And my comment on that was it's two on the nose. Yeah, it was. It was. I agree. The The foreshadowing they do in this movie is not subtle. No, it's not. They do a lot well, of it, but it's no, like... No, the T-Rex coming through the trees. Like I've That really, I liked. I liked that. That was a good shot. So there is there is a shot where they're... Yeah, explain what it they're is. They're up in like a tower thingy, and then they hear the T-Rex coming. You can see it. See the trees swishing back and forth where mm-hmm. it's coming, and they watch it go underneath them and go. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. pretty. That's pretty awesome. Yes, that makes me. That scene just makes me so glad that Kelly's up there because it, you know I would be up there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be anywhere but in that thing. And then in that same scene where they're talking about the academic and you know the parents, you know parents coming back for the baby, and and then it's purely it's not purely academic. And then um, Ian's like, "Hold on, this is going to be bad." Right. And then immediately. So the foreshadowing is immediate, you know. Yeah. They resolve that really quickly when the dinosaurs strike. And I actually like that, you know. And then we also get the same same situation with the T-Rex running through the trees in San Diego where the helicopter is following the T-Rex with a spotlight. And when they're on the boat and they're putting the baby T-Rex on the boat to bribe it, you know, you can see the spotlight behind Lud... Lud what's his name? Ludlow? Ludlow. Ludlow. And so we know that the T-Rex is coming. I'm motioning. Uh-huh. Yes. We know the T-Rex is coming closer because of the spotlight from the helicopter, but we can't actually see the T-Rex, you know? Yeah, that's good. I do enjoy those kinds of things. Um, so, do you have any comments on show and tell? Um, there's a really bad... What's his face? The guy. The cool guy. Uh, Roland? Yeah, Roland has the worst opening dialogue scene thing. Does he? I didn't even notice. He goes on a whole expositional rant. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. About why he's there, what his fee is, like all the stuff that is just absolutely All I absurd. want is, is a chance to get a bull T-Rex and... A, a buck. Yeah. A buck, yeah. Yes. And the, and like, that that's what I came here for and that's what I'm going to... Blah, 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 blah. And yeah. Like, you just do this and blah, 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 blah. And it's like freaking three paragraphs. It's ridiculous. Yes. Tons of exposition. Like, we don't... Whatever. It's but... complete exposition. Like, his, he like word vomits his entire character. <laughs> like... 
onto onto your ears oh, into your ears yeah the rest of it is great like uh he is like we've said the most dynamic character in yeah. the movie yeah. despite his only being in there for like the least amount of any interesting any character mm-hmm. pretty much but yeah that's that's the part that bothered me the most is just he has some ridiculous han solo like dialogue <laughs> poor han solo poor han solo uh let's see Okay, one bit of show and tell that I did like was when, and back to the trailer with the baby dinosaur in there, when the parents are, you know, they're looking in the windows and and we've got Sarah and Nick in there. They have no idea, and Ian, they don't know what's going on, but we know that the parents are looking for the baby. And so they show the parents looking for the baby, and then the character says, oh, they're looking for the baby, you know? Uh I appreciated that. They didn't start out by having the character say, they're going to look for the baby, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, the la- the best foreshadowing. Um, so Roland does get his book. He he um, doesn't kill it. He shoots it with a tranquilizer dart. And they capture it, and then Ludlow comes over and he's like, "You know, good job. I want you to come work for me." Blah blah blah. And he's like, "I've sp- I've spent enough time in the company of death." Oh, yeah. And then that's... he walks away. Yeah, and Roland actually lives, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. But Ludlow doesn't. Ludlow doesn't. And he's like, because he, he literally says, I've spent enough time in the company of death. And then, and then leaves walks away low. from that guy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so, really good. I didn't notice that. That's, yep. Yeah, and then he walks out of the movie and out of our lives. So yeah. sad. <laughs> okay, you've got, what are your comments on research? Uh, Epiphyseal plates are at the end of your bones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, me, explain, explain okay, this. Okay, so uh, at one point they x-ray the t- baby T-Rex's leg to see that it's broken. And they show a picture of a middle of a bone, I'm pretty sure. That epiphyseal plates, that's where your bones grow from. They grow at the ends of the bones, mm-hmm. not in the middle of the bones. Mm-hmm. I don't remember from anatomy. <laughs> Think about your, like, the... Oh, it's where the bone generates from, right? Yeah, that's where yeah, it grows no, I, from. I do remember that, yes. So it's just, it's it's not, like, way at the very end, but it's, like, you know, like, you have a knobby part on the end of a bone, like, you know, your elbow or something like that. It's just below that. Yeah. It's, like, a, a collar around that. Anyway, and they're showing, like, the middle... Like, it's angle or something like that. That's but right. Not, like, not way down at the bottom, but, like, somewhere in the middle. And, and on the screen, it's, like, the middle. And she's, like, pointing to the middle of the screen. <laughs> I was just like, no. I don't know. All right, so I'm going to give some little bits of trivia, and then I'm going to go to research. So the Japanese, when they're running away from the T-Rex, are saying in, J- in Japanese, I left Japan to get away from this. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that. Nice shout-out to Godzilla there. Yes, and then, like I was saying, Spielberg grew increasingly disenchanted with the film, and he actually realized that he wouldn't be directing another Jurassic Park movie, and he wanted to direct one where the dinosaurs went to a big city. And so he Concept- threw it in. Conceptually, I'm fine with that, but it just has a very different... It should have been its own story. It has a different tone than the rest of the movie. It feels very incongruous. I agree. Anyway, and then also, they, as part of the release of the film, they asked theaters to install strobe lights for certain parts of the film where lights would flash and then the strobe lights inside of the audience would flash. Well, they never put parts in the movie where the lights would flash. And so right before they released, they went in during a thunderstorm and added light flashing. (laughs) So bad planning. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a bit about the research. I'm going to give my little gripe on the research. I actually have quite a few gripes on the, the 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 seal place. The only one that I really have. So mine is, so I'm going to talk about Sarah's character quite a bit here. Go ahead. Go for it. Sarah's character, so she's at the beginning of the movie. She goes up and she touches the baby dinosaur, and which doesn't bother me. I, if, if we don't know her character at that point, that's fine. Some characters would do that. 
But then she actually says later on, we're here to observe and watch, not interact. Yeah, she says, she goes on and on about that. Like, make sure you pick up all your trash and do all this other stuff. And She's like, like don't... don't bend a blade of grass. And she goes on and on and on and on, preaches about not influencing them in any way. But touching a baby from an animal, a wild animal, is influencing. And then she runs around with a uh, baby T-Rex. Yes, that's, that's all over my notes. Yeah, she's got blood on the baby T-Rex's jacket. Uh, and on the T-Rex's jacket? On her <laughs> jacket, yes, on the T-Rex's jacket. And she's a paleontologist who works with large animals in Africa. And that's why they picked her to go to to the islands. Because she has experience with live animals, not just, you know, the dead ones. And so it's it's crazy. It's it's stupid. They actually they actually draw attention to the blood on her debt jacket. Like, like, are you injured? And she goes, oh, no, that's from the baby T-Rex. And so, you know, it draws attention to it. And she, as the expert, would know. And so would he as well, the Well, Roland knows. That's why he was yes. fine with it. He actually calls it. She calls him on it later. Oh, does he? Yeah. Does she? I totally That's why he brings it up. Because he's like, oh, he's going to be, they're going to be tracking that. That's why he doesn't ask her to take it off. Oh, yeah. That's, see, I totally missed that. That's, I really appreciate that. Okay. I like Roland's character. <laughs> her character. She's an idiot. No offense to her or anything like that. But. <laughs> yeah, but, offender. Your badly written character. So she's got blood on the jacket. Jacket. She touches the baby dinosaur. She takes the dinosaur to the to their camp. You know, to heal the baby dinosaur. Leave the baby. I'm sorry. This is horrible. But when you're dealing with anim- animals this big and this dangerous, leave the baby dinosaur with the broken leg, even if it does die. You know. I mean. That's the circle of life. That is a horrible thing for me to say, but anyway, somebody who's experienced, you know, the Lion King taught me that. Yes, and then leaving food out in the tent. You know. It's like she's never been hunt, uh, camping before, and she doesn't know that put, leaving food out is a bad idea, even if it's not just a T-Rex. There's other animals living there, you know? And then, of course, the Velociraptor size. They got them a little bit better, but they're still a little bit too big. But you, did you notice that they were actually smaller in this movie? Uh, yeah, they are a little bit smaller. Okay, uh, I've got comments on the climax. Do you have any com- comments on the climax? Um, no. My comment is there's a lot of ri- running, and there's hardly any dinosaur action. Just the dinosaur running around, them running around. The dinosaur's chewing things, but it's not its not exciting. There's, like, no fighting. There's no... It's not its not exciting to me. <laughs> no, yeah. They're, they're, what did they do in the first movie? I mean, they... The first movie, they had the Velociraptors fighting and the T-Rex fighting and then them trying to escape them while they're all fighting around them and them falling from the ceiling and... Yeah. Lots of action going on, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, hey, somebody swings from the ceiling. That's, kills a velociraptor. That's right. Kelly kills a velociraptor with her mad gymnastic skills. That was so, skills with a Z. Yeah, so <laughs> plausible. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh dear. It's not. It's not plausible. It's not plausible. Please stop it. Yes. Do you have any more comments before we go into the top three biggest takeaways? Everyone has incredible upper body strength in this movie. Oh, if my you've goodness. ever <laughs> held onto a tiny rope um, or done pull ups, you can't hold on for more than a few seconds unless you're trained to. I don't know what you think these people are going to be doing hanging from stuff so it's much. True. It's true. It's true. Stop that, too. Stop yes. it, Hollywood. You can't hold on that long. Uh, yeah, that bothered me because I, I was just like, how long? Like, How long are they going to They just hang and they just hold now. on. And yeah, yeah. it's not. They, it's do, not they do a lot of hanging from this movie in this movie, I feel like. and uh, Especially in that horrible trailer scene. That's half good. Like I said, it starts it's like conceptually. No problem. That's good. But it's too much. They just they took the action scenes and extended them without having better content or reasons to extend them. The scenes don't push every the story forward. No, there's no reason. Like the the rope comes untied. Something doesn't untie the rope. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 
that would have been more interesting. Yeah. If like some little copy is chewed through the rope. I don't know. Something. something. But it's just, yeah. And then they climb and then something else happens to mm-hmm. them. That's like random. Yeah. Like, oh no. Anyway, that bothered me. So one of the other scenes that we liked a lot was the, um, the long grass part. And that's where the velociraptors really come into the movie. We don't see them very much at all. We don't learn much. You know, like in the first one, you get little snippets here and there, but you learn something about them every time. Mm-hmm. In this, we already know they're dangerous, so you can't really do that. But everybody's running away from the T-Rex, and they run into this long grass. Uh, yeah, And um, Roland's sidekick tells people not to run into the long grass, but mm-hmm. they do because you have to run away from the T-Rex. So yeah. what are you going to do? I would hide. I mean, T-Rex doesn't have good vision. You know. Yeah, and there's a really good shot, uh, a top-down shot, where you see people running into the the long grass and then the raptor tails <laughs> coming towards them. Mm-hmm. And they can't see them, but we can. Mm-hmm. And that's excellent. Uh, my question for you is that, is it plausible that they that our heroes run through the velociraptor field and none of them get attacked? Uh, no, because like, everyone else gets like chewed to death and then they don't. Well, my question is... But maybe they're busy. Maybe so. the velociraptors got enough. Yeah, but they're still hunting them later. I mean, they're still that's on... That's true. They're still... And there, we don't know how many velociraptors there are either. Yeah. There could be quite a few and... It just seemed a bit lucky to me, but whatever. Yeah. I'll, I let it slide, but... I was like, really? Not even one velociraptor? Mm-hmm. All right, any... Do you, what are your top three biggest takeaways? Uh, top three for biggest... For authors. For authors. Here we go. We haven't been doing this. We should have been doing this the whole time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, number one, don't let the action get away from you. That's what happened in this one. They put in more action, but it feels like less action because it's less meaningful. Yeah. Um, they just had action in the front. And sometimes action for action takes fine. Mm-hmm. But in a movie, there's a lot, you have to have a lot of economy. You need to do multiple things in one scene. Yes. And if you can do that when you write, so much the better. Well, if you can't do it when you write, go back and add it in later. Yeah. They don't do that in this. It's mm-hmm. They feel very separate. Like, here is an action scene, and here is a talking scene, you mm-hmm. know? They don't blend seamlessly together like they did in the first one. No. I agree. Okay, my next top one, um, characterization. Make interesting characters, not these ones. These mm-hmm. ones are not interesting. <laughs> How do you make interesting characters, though? Uh, multidimensional. I mean, these are they're very flat. They have, like, one personality. Ludlow's the rich guy, period. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, like, sympathetic about him. He doesn't have any hobbies or interests other than... Well, what they... I mean, even if, they, even if their backstories create backstories for them, even if they don't end up in the story, you know? Right, because they'll, they'll behave in a way that feels like they have one, even yeah. if they, people don't know what it is. Yep. Roland actually kind of feels like he has a, a slight bit of a backstory. Yeah, you don't know where he comes from, but you know that where he's going, I guess. Because yeah. he has an arc. As if, you know, he's like, I do this, and mm-hmm. I, I'm a big, tough guy. And then mm-hmm. at the end, he's like, eh, it's not worth it. Yeah. And that's why he's the most interesting character, because he actually had an arc. Nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Not even our principal people that are in, like, the very beginning through the end. If he's like a random guy. Like, why does the second, like, tier character get a, an arc and the main characters don't? Mm-hmm. And then, what's your third takeaway? Hmm. Let's think. Of, I'll have to think about that one. All right, I'll give mine. Okay, so my first takeaway is the characters, and it's about characters. Characters must be competent. So the story is implausible unless you have several competent characters. You can have incompetent ones, but everyone was incompetent in this movie. Ian and Roland were the exceptions, you know, because Ian has experience, and Roland is just he knows. And then the guy with the long red hair, you know. Oh yes. He yeah. seemed he seemed fairly competent, but. There's a fine line between plot and character driven. So character driven, you can have them make good or make stupid choices, but those choices can be good based on the knowledge they have. 
And so we as the viewers or the readers, we could be like, oh, that was a horrible decision because we have knowledge that the characters don't have. The the tall grass scene or the long grass scene is a good example of that. They made the best. They're like running away from a T-Rex. That's the way to run away from a T-Rex. It's the yeah. best thing they could do at the time. Somebody else had more information and we did because we could see the yeah. raptor tails yes. coming for them. That was so cool. The trails. That's what makes it so. Because you're because you're like the guy's warning them not to go into the tall grass. But you're like, why? You have to get away from the T-Rex. This yeah. is the only like there's not that many options, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we see the, the velociraptors coming through the grass towards yep. the line of people. Yeah, so you can have them make bad choices. But they need to be the best possible given the situation. And so we've got so many bad choices in this movie that are just incompetent, stupid choices, not choices that make us like the characters more. Then do your research. So if you, you need to have your characters follow through on their knowledge, you know. And then my second comment is make your sequels stand on their own. So they need to be... Even if you're writing, okay, so even if you're writing sequels that go in order and you can't read them out of order, or standalone sequels, you don't repeat the same things that got people going from the first time. Then number three, my third one is skip the unimportant stuff, and I did not make that comment earlier because I wanted to actually talk about it right now. We've got the, back to the trailer scene, we've got the guy who decides to help them. He throws them the rope, and then he's, let's see, the trailer starts falling and he looks up like, ah, oh, crap. And the next, the very, very next shot, he's outside looking at the trailer. We don't have to watch him running through the trailer and watching him try to get out of the trailer because it's not important. And so skip the stuff that's not important. If nothing happens, then don't. Readers actually will put two and two together a lot easier than authors give them credit for, you know? Mm -hmm. So your phone rings across the room. You don't have to have your character get up off the couch, step across the room and pick up the phone. You can just have your reader say, I picked up the phone or she answered the phone. You know, the readers will fill in the blanks. Okay, here's my third one. Be interested in what you're doing. <laughs> uh, because, you the, you know, the writer and director mm -hmm. um, weren't that interested, and you can tell. Yes. Um, yeah. So if you're not having fun, if you're not feeling tense, you know, if you're not excited about the idea even of the scene you're going to do, mm -hmm. then don't do it or think about how to make it better. Because yeah. that's... You know, they just went through the motions and, you know, I, I guess they know better than we do because they're making like a fifth movie now. So whatever. But they they aren't, though. They're not. They're not. That's true. Yeah. And the sad thing is, I mean, viewers can tell, readers can tell. If you lose excitement for a project, you know, you've got to do something that makes you excited for it again. And that's that's going to be something that's very personal. It's not not something we can tell you what to do. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to regain excitement for the project one thing I have found, though, the longer it takes me to write a book, the less excited I am about it. And so if I write it faster and do it more often each day, you know, more of it, then I maintain excitement for the project. We have talked about creating momentum. So yes. Yes, we have. part of that. Exactly. Anyway, so that's... Um, oh, I did have a question for you, though. Okay. Um, how would you rather die? Compi, Velociraptor, or T-Rex? T-Rex. <laughs> I think it's the fastest one. I agree. That was my Compies, answer too. Compies take small bites, and T and Velociraptors play play with, with you. their food. Yeah. <laughs> T Rex T Rex don't care. <laughs> no, I agree. Anyway, so the next episode will be a we'll delve into marketing, and then um, what movie are we doing next? Should we do Megamind next? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, let's do Megamind. We haven't done a kids movie yet, and it's a kids movie that's geared to adults. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, Just well, like the Lego movie. Yes. Okay, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.